Okay, welcome everybody to the podcast. My guest today is Carrie Fry, who's with Gallimath Consulting Group, which works with business owners, business sales. So first, welcome to the podcast and thank you for taking the time. Rod, great to be here. Thank you for the invitation. I've been looking forward to this. Me too. Yeah, since we met and, and we both spoke at an event uh, mm -hmm. and it was it was interesting to see how what we do connects. You know, I'm more on the family side, he's more on the business side, but we're doing pretty much the same thing. Um, and uh, one of the reasons we wanted to do this is somebody asked in the group, so who do I call first? And we both looked at each other and said, doesn't matter. I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll both end up in the game. We, we collaborate. So, so first, just give us a little brief outline of what you do. I mean, what, what the company does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, understand that uh, every business owner is going to transition from their business at some point. Now, that some point could be near term, midterm, 10, 15 years down the road. Uh, but at some point, they're going to transition willingly or not. I also believe that business owners uh, develop a business to do a whole lot more than just create an income. They, they think about how they can uh, uh, monetize the value of that business, again, at some point in the future, near term, midterm, or long term. And uh, so that that value of the business by monetizing it is going to help them live their best life. Mm -hmm. Now, that could be uh, selling it or or getting some kind of an income or, or payment from that it could be creating a legacy for children and um, uh, uh, per perpetuity of the business for generations to come. Everybody's got their own individual objectives. You know, everything is really kind of predicated on that idea. We do know that business owners uh, are more are thinking more about the succession and the transition of their business than most advisors realize. Uh, surveys have said that 81% of business owners are looking to quit working in their business in the next 10 years. And 53% are looking to fully transition out in the next 10 years. So what our firm does is we help every business owner in uh, all the aspects of uh, transitioning that business and uh, monetizing the value. And I'll put that probably in three large buckets. First of all, we help businesses grow and maximize their value. And we do that through a series of implementation of value drivers. Uh, too many business owners and, and advisors mistakenly look at the value of the business as some kind of a multiple of EBITDA based on the type of industry that they're in. You know, the value of anything is what anybody's willing to pay for. <laughs> and so, you know, that that multiple of EBITDA could be a good guide. But at the end of the day, uh, especially from an outsider's perspective, the value of the business is going to be whatever they're going to be willing to pay for it. And the number one factor of that that uh, increases the value of the business is the presence of a stable, motivated and aligned management team. Uh, key employees that are going to be there post-transition. So that, you know, first large bucket of helping businesses grow and maximize their value is going to get a lot into incentive planning uh, for those key employees. They can include different deferred compensation plans, phantom stocks, stock appreciation rights, you know, keepers, all kinds of different plans that are going to keep them motivated and aligned post-transition. Now, the second large bucket that we do is help businesses create an owner-centric uh, roadmap and strategy for their transition. And right, what I mean by owner-centric is whatever is the right avenue for them based on their individual objectives. We're not bringing a preconceived idea to the table. So be it 
uh, family transfers, be it uh, transfers to other insiders like key employees or partners or all employees, um, or be it um, uh, outsiders, uh, friendly competitors, strategic buyers, private equity. It, it doesn't matter. We're going to create a, a roadmap and strategy for that based on their own individual objectives. Now, the last bucket or the, the, the you know, again, broad bucket that we do is to help businesses uh, create that transition efficiently, both from a tax basis and a value basis. And that's what we do. Now, what we don't do uh, probably distinguishes us from 99% plus of the advisors <laughs> out there or, or the firms who maybe do what we do. We do not sell insurance. We don't manage money. We don't do financial planning. We're not uh, competition to financial advisors or other advisors in any way. You know, we find that the coordination of multiple advisors is critical for the success of the transition of any business. You, you need attorneys, you need accounts, you need uh, bankers, you need different advisors. Uh, you know, we're, we want to serve as more of the quarterback who's, you know, got the plan that's engaging the right advisors uh, through that process, but it is a team uh, to make that happen. Um, so we've been doing this for you know twenty plus years as a uh, you know members of our firm. Uh, we have a lot of history with our founder and and ties into some other individuals. We'll talk about maybe another time, yeah. but we've been involved literally in thousands of plans. I think we're around five hundred seventy business owners that we've uh, successfully helped exit. So we, you know what we know what we're doing. We're based out of Denver, uh, but we truly are a national firm. And I think, you know, as we uh, as we were both speaking, we spoke kind of back to back. The mm -hmm. things that people were noticing is, you know, there's a lot of similarities in how we approach things from different sides. I mean, like you said earlier, you start with their desired outcomes, not your right. plan, right? <laughs> this is what we're going to do, which is huge. I mean, because a lot of people have their little bucket. I mean, they know what they do and they come in and say, OK, so step one, we're going to do this. And so what's your name again? Yeah. Uh, you know, so that was one. Another is, I loved when the guy that introduced us said, you guys will love these guys split, fee split because it's zero and a hundred, you know, you get it all. Right. <laughs> We're not competing. But the right. third one was the one you, you touched on at the end, and that's collaboration. There's so many people who try and do this all on your own, and it can't be done. I mean, there's just too many moving pieces. No, Rod, I, and, and bring up a great point. I mean, I think the, uh, for any uh, advanced market, uh, higher net worth clients, sophisticated planning, which certainly business owners are, and, and certainly the higher uh, the wealth gets, the more complicated things become. Nobody can be an expert in everything, and financial advisors, uh, in particular, you know, they're they're phenomenal relationship managers. They have trust with their clients. They they uh, they have influence with those clients. But, um, you know, client, clients and business owners, they don't expect them to have all the answers. They expect them to be a, a good advocate for them. They expect that they're going to be doing the right thing and, and, and guide them. But that means let's bring people who have the expertise in a particular situation. Now, what we're talking is just in the business succession. You could extrapolate this and get into other areas of, you know, uh, be it uh, estate planning, wealth transfers, uh, you know, uh, different strategies for products and so forth. It, uh, clients are not looking for advisors to be the answer for everything, but they do want to be able to introduce people who uh, do have that expertise. This is what we do every day. We've been doing it for a long time. Um, but again, because of our model, we can serve as an extension of what the advisor is doing. I know you do the same thing as well. We're 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 
positioning that advisor, you know, this is your client, this is, you know, your relationship, we're bringing the expertise to the table that's going to help solve particular problems. And then at the end of the day, because we don't sell the products, we don't manage money, we don't do some of the individual financial planning, we can then position that advisor to implement those solutions, which are <laughs> critical and are present in generally every plan that we do. Uh, that are going to be solutions that they're not normally going to get to on their own. If they do, it's going to take a lot of more time than necessary. And they're probably going to submit tickets or premium on life insurance. It's going to be a lot less than what's, what's uh, potentially out there. Mm -hmm. I give this one example of a, of a case that a, a very intelligent, high-end life insurance producer who's a friend of mine uh, brought me in to talk with a particular business owner. And he, um, he said, look, I don't think that there's any opportunity for me as the financial advisor to implement insurance or do other things. Uh, one of the partners is a client of mine, and I just want to make sure they do the right things. They need capital. They need capital to help buy out a partner. Can you help them to do that? I said, you know, absolutely. Certainly we can, you know, let's get in and find out what's going on. You know, we we engaged them fairly quickly. We, uh, within a three months, had a written plan and began to implement some of the recommendations. There were 10 overfunded life insurance policies that were put in place. The other, one of the other partners became a personal financial client where he managed close to $3 million of assets and he did a personal financial plan. I don't know what he made through all that, but uh, it was well into the six figures significant. And again, it all started out with, I don't think there's any money. I don't think here. there's anything here. Yeah. <laughs> so we, we find that all the time and it's not uh, too many advisors, probably because of the way that they see a client, be it they may be a life insurance advisor, they, they see there may be a life insurance opportunity and, and it could be very appropriate because the strategy could be right on. But if it's done in the context of a product solution or a solution to maybe an opportunity, uh, a problem that the, the advisor sees, and maybe the client has it recognized as a big problem or even a problem at all. And if it's not in the context of the overall plan that's going to help me monetize the value of the business to live my best life, it, it could be a very appropriate solution, but it's likely not going to be taken action because they don't see it in the proper context. Well, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. That there's a lot, of, especially when I was doing estate planning, I sold a lot of life insurance, even though I wasn't licensed. Right. Because right. when I talk to the client and say, this is what the plan is, and stuff, you probably need some life insurance. All of a sudden, it's a whole new ballgame. Because mm -hmm. it's not coming from the person who's, you know, as they say in the South, that has a dog in this hunt. That's um, right. And it just, now it's like a no-brainer. It's like, okay, here we go. Well, and that actually leads into one other uh, thing that I probably should have said at the beginning about our firm is that, you know, how do we get paid? We get paid a consulting fee by the business owner. Right. And without getting into how all that works, I will, I will tell you that we rarely get a pushback on our fees. I think we hear more that uh, they thought it was going to be more expensive than it actually is, which is nice to hear right. rather than sticker shock, right? But, you know, we we're in that same position when we're talking to a business owner as a consultant, they're paying us to create a plan and give them advice and a roadmap. So when we say, hey, you need to fund uh, this strategy with a life insurance and here's the advantages. And now we're going to tee up the life insurance advisor to uh, you know, present the illustration, get the application started. They're not going to push back. They're not going to, you know, right. well, why life insurance opposed to this? Why this carrier instead of that? It, it, it's just an easy process. Right. So 
when we're talking about businesses, there's there's the corporate business kind of, you know, and there's the family business. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Let's talk a little bit about the family business because, yeah. you know, they're, I don't care who they are, they're tough. I mean, you know, so why, why do you see family businesses? What kind of things do you see that make them yeah. tougher than normal? <laughs> you know, we, great question. And thank you for asking that. I think we probably, uh, you know, our niche or a niche could be one thing that we see a lot of are these family transfers. And, um, you know, you think about the dynamics of a business. You've got uh, uh, the, the, the difficulty of uh, owning and operating a business, the financials, the management of people, the, the strategy, how we're going to grow and so forth. And when you dovetail and intersect other dynamics with the family members and those dynamics, you start getting complicated, especially if there are multiple children that are in the business. Right. Think about maybe you're having a difficult budget meeting on a Friday afternoon. You know, hey, we're spending too much money. We're not generating enough revenue. We got to get our crap together here. You know, whatever. Those happen in yeah. any kind of business. And then on the way home, dad's calling the uh, the son to say, hey, uh, are you bringing the kids over for dinner tomorrow night? You know, and, and meanwhile, the kid's going, I don't want to talk to you <laughs> because of, you know, the meeting. You know, those are just additional dynamics. So we think about it from that perspective. Then go a little bit deeper. What about kids that are in the business and versus those who aren't in the business? Right. Should they be receiving additional benefit or distributions from the business or ultimately more of the value of the business uh, when it transitions or at the estate than those who aren't in the business? Uh, What about the spouses? Uh, What about the additional children who uh, are the next generation who may or may not be uh, a part of the business? Uh, Those are all uh, uh, things that are, are new dynamics that are not generally part of the business. But we also find that most owners have uh, 60% of their net worth or more that's tied up in a business. And most of the income is being derived from the business. And because of that, oftentimes they are the business. So if the new generation, the kids are taking over or or possibly taking over, do they have the necessary skill sets? How are they perceived by others within the organization or clients or vendors or bankers or the other stakeholders who are involved in the business? If they're not able to take over, if they don't have the right skill sets, can those be developed? How can they be developed? Uh, Working with a a case right now with a business valued about $50 million, good solid case. It is generation two, brother and sister took over the business from the father. And each of them have two kids. And I would say they're all kind of in the business, although one of them sort of in the business. So maybe instead of four of them, it's three and a half. Right. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, so that that's, a, again, a dynamic, right? Yeah. Some are involved in some kind of, and are they really pulling their own weight? But they said to me, they want to get out in five years. And they said to me, I don't think the kids have the passion or the fire to run this business. Maybe it's an entitlement. Maybe it's just their characters. I don't know that they even totally want to uh, run the business. It, it, you know, we're just getting started with them. We'll uncover all this. Yeah. Um, but those are some things that go into layers of complexity that are unique to the family business. And you think about when, what I said earlier, that business owners and high net worth individuals, I'll extrapolate to them as well, they're not going to take action on anything 
unless they see it as a big problem and it's the the right problem that they need to be solving. You know, again, an outside advisor can come in and say, here's a good idea. Mm-hmm. You know, if every high net worth or business owner client took action on a good idea that they heard, they wouldn't be a high net worth client. <laughs> so they they look at, they, they need to see this as a large problem and that you're the person who can help them to do that. You, know, you think about these extra layers of emotions and complexity about dealing with the family. Maybe they have an estranged child that they want to uh, pull it together to come back into the business and you know uh, uh, contribute. Maybe they have one who's there who's got an alcohol problem and uh, you know is is not perceived properly within the company, but they're still hoping they can pull it together. Right. You know, these are difficult emotional decisions that when we begin to unpack, we begin to see why those owners haven't taken action before. You know, with all these uh, owners who are looking to get out of the business, very few of them have actually created a plan. And even the plans that they have are often not fully baked out or fully going to get them where they need to go. And oftentimes these kinds of family dynamics are getting in the way of them wanting to make decisions and they need you they need us they need other advisors who can help guide them and help them make some of the difficult decisions if needed you know a lot of times in the families there's also those assumptions right dad assumes or mom assumes who's ever running it that oh this child will want you know i remember having one family and and this kid had been in the business since high school i mean worked all the way up was great at what he did Love the team that he was working on. And we had a conversation one time and we were talking about, and I was, it was just a conversation. And he goes, I don't know what to do. And I go, why? And he goes, well, everybody's assuming that I'm going to take over the business. Then there's no way in hell that I want to run this business. I like yeah. what I'm doing, I, I don't, yeah. I, but I don't want to run it. Yeah. And, and he said, can you help? And I go, sure. You know, and, and I said, but I'm going to put you on the spot. And he goes, all right. So we had, when we had next time we had the family meeting, I was looking at dad and I go, so who do you think is going to take over? He goes, well, he will. I go, if you ask him. And he said, well, no, but he's been here all the time. And I, you know, and I looked at him and go, do you really want to take it over? And he goes, hell no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> And dad goes, really? You know, and it wasn't a negative. It was like, no. it was just assumed. No. I mean, it's just, you know, Yeah. And, and like you said, they, they don't have a plan. And even if they do have a plan, I can't remember the last, especially family business that I've seen that was actually ready to sell. Mm-hmm. And so talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, getting yeah. the company ready to sell is a big piece. Yeah, absolutely. And and you think about, uh, I mentioned earlier, uh, the value of a business is really about the absence or presence of value drivers. And value drivers concept, the private equity and outsiders going to look at to say, are these things present? Then it's going to be more valuable than if they're not. Again, that number one factor of the stable, motivated, retained, aligned management team. But some of the others that go into that, uh, you know, do they have a documented growth strategy? Are they in a unique market that's generating predictable cash flow. I mean, some of those things we can't necessarily affect. It's either there or not. Mm -hmm. But you think about, you know, do they have a a growth plan? Do they have proper operational controls in place? Do they have appropriate financial controls in place? Do they really run it like a business and particularly the family businesses? You know, are we running the country club membership and the boat or the plane through the business? We need to get those things out. Oftentimes, some of these positions are family members by by de facto. And so if it's like, okay, are they going to be staying on post-transition? Yes or no. If they're not, uh, that they're going to be getting out or they're going to cash out along with the parents or whoever might be the case. 
then we need to make sure that somebody's recruited and going to be taken over that position and in place and, and rocking and, and rolling. ready to go. So that you know, ready to go. Right. Yeah. I've got a situation right now in the Midwest where we've got a business that is looking to sell within the year, no later than 18 months. Okay. I don't really remember why it was so important to them, but <laughs> they told us that. Okay. Yeah, okay. We're doing Um and it, it it's great business, um, but it's relatively small. And the uh, one of the owners, the husband, uh, the wife is the primary owner. The husband is the operations guy, and he's not going to be there. And they are looking for a third party buyer. We are taking it to market. So the first thing is to recruit somebody to replace that guy, and to make sure that his compensation and incentive plan design is there that's going to keep him there long term. We typically do that with some kind of a vesting schedule and maybe stay bonuses post transition. I mean, that gets in a little bit into the weeds, but making sure that it's very clear that that he's going to be there, he's going to stay. Now, interestingly, their child is in the business. He's not going to be taking it over, but he's going to stay on, hopefully, post transition. So uh, he's got a kind of a two-sided motivation. Uh, one of them is he needs a job and wants to stay there. Okay. Right. Uh, the second one being that's probably attractive because he is in a key uh, role from the new place. So we're kind of balancing that. Okay. How do we make sure he's committed to stay, but also the new ownership is going to at least keep him on for some period of time. Right. Uh, that all becomes part of the package. So yeah, just a lot of different moving parts with that, that often come in into situations that everybody's unique with. And in some of those situations, you know, you find children that aren't, I won't say capable or not necessarily in the best role are there because of the name right. and uh, the readiness for sell uh, may be that those individuals don't need to be there, that there are the adequate replacements there. Yeah. When it, you just mentioned a little bit ago about how the, the businesses a lot of times are running the boat or the plane or whatever, you know, through right. the business. That's one of the reasons that EBITDA is not necessarily a gr really great model. I mean, I had right. one of my clients when he first came in and, and he had 30 restaurants and, uh, and so we were talking and, and he said, and he said, the guy came in and he's doing a multiple of, you know, this bottom line. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, how do we change this? And I go, well, that's kind of the way they do it. I mean, so why do you want to change it? And he goes, well, I got my planes going through it. And he said, so maybe I should wait a year. So I have clean documents. Yeah. Maybe that's a good idea. Good idea. <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. And that and that could be calling for maybe instead of a, a whole new position, maybe they need a fractional CFO who really right. knows what they're doing, who can come in and, and get that on path and, and you know, get that out, outsider perspective. Uh, you're absolutely right. And, you know, the longer time, you know, you mentioned that, it got me thinking about this. So the longer time that we have as advisors, I'm going to include you in this as well, Rod, is that the longer time that we can be connected to uh, an owner and help in that planning, the better outcomes we're going to have. Right. Uh, in the situation where, hey, I'm going to sell tomorrow would be ideal, but I can wait a little while if I need to. Okay, that's fine. We can do so much. But if we have a five-year ramp to get where we need to go, uh, that just puts more options in place and particularly to help pre-fund the owner's exit. And what I mean by that, you know, where's the money going to come from? If it's coming from the outside, uh, being like a strategic buyer of private equity, that's where the money's going to come from, right? But in the insider transfers, one universal truth about family members and key employees, they never have money. <laughs> <laughs> 
Now, with this broadcast going to go out and, and uh, people are going to go, hey, wait, wait, I got an example. Okay, maybe there might be a few, right? But generally speaking, they don't have money. And so the uh, owner's ability to monetize that value is often that they are slowing down or exiting, but still getting some kind of distributions or revenue from the firm. And, you know, that that's okay. I mean, if that's the only strategy that's there, but that can put a cash flow strain on the new owners, particularly if the the owner was uh, was the business and you know didn't didn't uh, hand over the operations in the best way, and so the business is slowing down. It, it can just really strain the business. And the longer that you can pre-fund, meaning that there's more opportunity, to say this is our strategy. How do we create money uh, to help with this uh, uh, buyout? Deferred compensation plans typically work very well. It can be, you know, any number of different structures. But right. you know, figuring that the more time, the better. Uh, interestingly, is that and, and Rod, you may know this number better than I do. Uh, generational wealth often is lost and it's lost quickly. I've seen statistics from different studies, anywhere from something like seventy-five to ninety-two percent of family wealth is gone by generation three. Maybe you have different regardless of what the number is right it's okay right and and i think that it's there because uh there is a lack of planning there's a lack of communication there's uh a lack of family governance plan which you know i love that that's really resonating with families right now which provides a roadmap for how the business is going to benefit the various family members and how it's going to be treated you know that you have a, a basis to make decisions to help create family harmony you know there could be a variety of other reasons but uh, you think about that with these transfers of the family where someone says hey i'm looking to transfer this business and it's going to be generation after generation after generation and it's gone by generation three Anecdotally, we know that from history. I mean, there's quotes from China from 2,000 years ago that wealth never survives mm -hmm. three generations. So we've known it anecdotally. We don't really know what the numbers are. And that, you know, the 70, 90, and all that kind of stuff, those numbers, they were accurate for what they were done. I mean, like, but one of the studies that gets, gets globalized was a study of 200 families with manufacturing companies in Illinois. And, all, and suddenly that became what it is for everybody. And it's like, Oh, oh, maybe not. You know, yeah, it's not. Yeah, that's true. Like we know good there's point. an issue, you know, so that's yeah. why we we went in and studied, okay, what works, you know, instead of what what goes wrong. Because really, when you think about it, it doesn't matter if that number's 50% or 60% or 90%. If if your your family's going to be one of those, you don't care if it's 90% or 12% if I'm going to be part of the 12. Well, I want to make sure we're the successful ones. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I think that, um, you know, you think about a business that started, often that's bootstrapped by the owner. Right. They had to really, you know, go through some lean times and and feel the pain of ownership. And it's sometimes difficult for a successful business for the kids to feel that pain. Uh, I mean, I asked that question, you know, I mean, do you, you know, what do you go through to get to this? Is it important that you want the next generation of ownership to have a sense of that or feel that same way? And almost to a T, they're like, yeah, they really need to understand that. I don't know how, though, because you know, the business right. generates <laughs> millions of dollars every year or very successful, right? But it, it, it's an interesting that, you know, they may spend 40 years bootstrapping and growing this business to a point that they've created this, you know, phenomenal business. Uh, they don't want it to just dissipate, disappear. They want to 
uh, have it benefit the grandchildren that, you know, maybe are just toddlers at this age. And then think, well, what could those children uh, be like? I, I, I'm working with an owner right now who's in a rural uh, part of North Carolina that, uh, you know, it's, it's a lower socioeconomic class, poorer community. And, uh, you know, his businesses that he has are kind of beacons for the community. So his value not only is to think about how this is going to be fit my grandchildren and other family members to be able to create employment opportunities, but also a beacon for the community and help, you know, shine up the community a little bit. And that's what legacy he wants to create. And if, you know, you're, you're just uh, haphazard about going to do that, leaving up a chance, whether they're around or not, that's not what they want. Right. You know, and it's interesting, um, sometimes in the middle, they still have that that vision. I mean, we're working with the family. Neither one of the daughters really wanted to run the business, but they wanted to make sure the business was there and available to their kids and grandkids if they wanted to be involved. There you go. So okay. that was part of the planning. It was, we're not going to take it over, but we don't want it to disappear. And that really goes back to what are the desired outcomes of the <laughs> of the people that are selling? And, right. and it all gets built around that. And it's different for every family. There's a couple of things I want to make sure that we emphasize. One is that I mean, when you said that statistic before, and I heard it, 81% of owners want to quit their business in the next 10 years, that just like shocked me. And I think that's, knowing that as the background, I think is really helpful for people to know that just because you're working with a business owner who's rocking and rolling his business doesn't mean he wants to be there for, he or she wants to be there forever. You, you need to have those conversations as advisors. You can't just say, hey, I don't know who may be looking to sell their, my, sell their business. I don't know if my clients do that. Have the conversation. What what are you wanting this business to do for you? Tell me about what's next. They'll open up and begin to tell you, but you have to have those conversations. And, and you got to ask. They're not going to volunteer. And that's where it get, goes back to, you mentioned it earlier. There's so many lost opportunities for the, the attorney and the accountant, the financial advisor, that if they're not used to this thing with, with, with the businesses, that we can open up. And right. you, know, you can open up with the business. I can open up with the family. Because we are in a different position, I want to make sure people got that you know, out of this because it's true. And like I said, I don't, I've never seen one yet that's ready to sell. You know, they, they, it takes time. They need help. They need help. Yeah, they do need help. So anything else you want to, before we go on here, last words of wisdom to the, to the group here? Yeah, you know, the, the only thing that I would leave everyone to think about is that uh, don't be intimidated to have conversations with your business owner clients because you don't have all the answers. That's okay. You need to be able to internalize or realize that, you know, they look to you as a trusted advisor. They look to you as a resource. Uh, there was another study, I don't have time to talk about it, from the Spectrum Group that um, talked about all the different things that high net worth clients expect from their financial advisor and then uh, who actually got it. And there were the typical, you know, tax advice, risk management advice, managing money advice, you know, things like that. Uh, but one of the ones was succession planning. Eighty-three mm -hmm. percent expected nice. their advisors to give them that advice. One percent got it. I, I didn't believe the number. I, I saw it a couple of times uh, in in uh, conferences that I was speaking at from other people, and I was like, "Wait a second, I need to I need to dive into this a little bit." So that just says to me, I, I think perhaps advisors are intimidated to talk to their business owners. They don't look like they have the answers. And that's okay. You've got arrows in your quiver from people like myself and people like Rod and other advisors who can help you uh, in any of those situations. You don't have to have the, uh, the, the answers uh, for your clients. You're not going to be in a position that you look bad. 
but ask the questions, have them look to you as that resource who can help them because you've got people around, you've got arrows in your quiver that you can bring to the table. If you can do that, you will uncover greater opportunities than you realize, and you're going to create uh, a value differentiation for your uh, clients, and they're never going to go anywhere. Oh, and that's and that is so true. I mean, a lot of professionals don't want to ask the question if they don't think they can provide the solution. But those clients are looking to you. If you're the trusted advisor, they don't they're not looking for you for the solution. They know you can't do it all. They're just looking to you to help them put together the group. And if you do that, it's amazing what it does for the relationship with you and those clients. So Absolutely. I totally agree. What's your email address in case somebody wants to email you? Kerry, C-A-R-Y at calamathconsultinggroup.com. Thank you very much for taking the time here. This has been really Great. good. Thank you, Rod. Appreciate it. And look forward to talking to you again, my friend.